0: Yeah, I guess when I think about that, I, I think about, you know, over the course of my career, you know, starting in a mid-sized county, being at the statewide level in Washington, and then coming here, I, I don't think that the issues that we deal with are fundamentally different. I think it's, it's, all, it's all about scale and it's about, about capacity, right? The full and free exercise of our sacred right and duty to vote is more important in the long run than the personal hopes or ambitions of any candidate for any office in the land.
1: You're listening to High Turnout, Wide Margins, an insider's look at election administration hosted by Brianna Lennon and Eric Fay. Hello, I'm Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri.
2: And I'm Brianna Lennon, County Clerk for Boone County, Missouri. Today, we are going to be talking to the largest jurisdiction for elections in the United States, and we're talking to Dean Logan, who is the, oh, I just lost it, registrar, recorder, county clerk of L.A. County. That's right. Uh, So we're really excited to talk to him today about uh, everything that he's accomplished in L.A. County, but also just to hear a little bit behind the scenes of what it's like working there. So thanks very much for joining us today.
0: Thank you. It's good to be with you.
1: Dean, I'm curious what motivated you to seek the job in L.A. County. As Brianna mentioned, it's the perhaps largest election jurisdiction in the country, depending on, I guess, how you count New York City. Um, I don't know. How how does that match up? Because I, I hear different things sometimes, either you or New York City.
0: Yeah, I think technically New York City, all combined, may be larger than we are, but it's broken up into boroughs. And LA County is one single jurisdiction. So, um, I I was corrected once um, on that. So I, I now, when I talk about it, I say that we're the largest local elections jurisdiction. So about 5.8 million registered voters here. Uh, that's more voters in this county than 42 of the states have statewide. So it's a, it's a it's a beast of a jurisdiction. Um, as for how I got here, that's sort of an interesting story too. I was um, I was in King County, uh, Washington in. 2004, there was a very close gubernatorial election that went to uh, multiple recounts and actually went um, to court in an election contest. Um, a lot of controversy around that. About a year after that, uh, things were settling down there, and um, but it was still pretty politically volatile. So I started looking for uh, opportunities and was contacted by my predecessor here in LA County, who invited me to come down to be uh, the chief deputy here. Uh, at the time, she was going to work another seven to eight years, and that would give me the opportunity to decide if I wanted to uh, to make that leap. Um, and as fate would have it, about uh, about nine months into, or well, maybe maybe about eleven months into uh, that journey, uh, she decided she was going to leave at the end of that year, <laughs> and I was thrust into um, to stepping up to being the acting. A department head here in LA County, um, right at the start of the 2008 presidential election cycle, um, which, by the way, in California, we had three statewide elections that year because the presidential primary was separate from uh, the, the regular state primary. So, uh, trial by fire, I, I did the, that first primary, and then by the June uh, primary of 2008, I was appointed to the position and, and have been here ever since. So, for jurisdictions over 1 million population, um, King County, Washington, and L.A. County are um, part of a rare group of counties where the elections function is combined with the recorder function and the county clerk functions.
2: Do you worry about having sufficient resources to run elections? Did you have issues during COVID where you had to um, tap into other offices or things like that, or or how did you manage it?
0: I think what what I've learned and what what's benefited my time in L.A. County is is I've lived through those periods of times of, of kind of the consequences of underfunding and, and being under-resourced um, and um, and can and can share that uh, experience in pretty pretty good detail. Um you know been able to use those experiences to leverage resources here and to and to then build on that with with data. Um, that that actually makes a compelling case to get the resources, but it is always a fight, right? Because just like any other jurisdiction, LA County has huge um, social and public health issues that have to be addressed. So you're always competing. So just trying to keep that in perspective, but also to make the case of why the electoral process, in particular, um, you know, even more so than the recorder and county clerk function, um, requires a a base level of resources in order for the rest of those departments to function because everything that we do in county government is impacted by the electoral process. Um, That general sense of public trust and confidence in government in general, we're at the heart of that uh, right now. So being able to to leverage that, I I think, you know, some good examples are with COVID to to, to your point, we were rolling out a brand new voting model um, at, you know, literally weeks before when we conducted our primary weeks before um the the pandemic really took took hold and then going right into a presidential election cycle and so we were able to actually use the county's disaster service worker model to staff our voting centers our our in-person voting locations for uh, the 2020 presidential election a program that was very successful because we were able to use Em, county employees from virtually every department in the county uh, to fill those positions and to make the case to our voters that we could offer a safe and secure uh, elections process and that built on, um, you know, the that addressed any issues that happened in the primary but also built on the success of the new voting model. Um, that actually was so successful that we we carry we've carried that forward now and that's now a permanent program in the county. Um, we don't use we don't exclusively use county employees, but our our leads and our assistant leads at the vote centers, and we have a 10-day early voting period for in-person voting. Those are all county employees, and we're able to um, you know, obviously have a direct relationship with them and and the departments that they work for. So that's been a very successful program. I think the other thing we've been able to do is get recognition that, in, especially in a jurisdiction like this, that we have to have a public education um, and media budget that every election has unique um, features unique needs and you can't communicate those enough to um, a, to you know a population of close to 6 million voters that, that that represents also 19 different languages and runs the gamut from very rural areas to very urban areas to you know a high uh, population of of um mobile and, and homeless um, individuals as well so we've been really we've had a, a very successful program of being able to take data um, to demonstrate the effectiveness of that that type of campaign which I, when I look back across my entire career I, I think that's a that's a big success story because it used to be a nice to have to have money to do a, a media campaign now it's actually recognized as a a standard and critical component of any Uh, countywide election that we conduct. Uh,
1: I just have to back up a little bit. You said you use other county employees to kind of manage your your vote centers. I certainly want to know more about that. Probably a lot of people listening to this. It would be hard for me to imagine in my county, other county departments letting us use employees for that amount of time. Um, How did that start? How does it work? Tell me everything. (laughs) I want to know.
0: Well, that may be, you know, that may be an example of of uh, scale and capacity again, right? Because the sheer number of employees in LA County, uh, basically, we made the case that um, that uh, a smooth, orderly election and and you know, we're talking about literally thousands of people needed to staff our our voting locations, and to do that exclusively with community volunteers, um, you know, has has some liability in, in, involved in it. And so, uh, you know, as I said, it started with um, kind of a volunteer program where county departments were encouraged to offer um, county employees, and the county um, offered to to cover their pay. So they, you know, it's not a day off; they get their regular pay. And they um, originally, when we were back at the the polling place model, they would get they would get the stipend on top of their pay. So there was a little bit of a financial incentive. But really, the program that we operate today is is a um, output of the of, of the the pandemic if, if you will because in the pandemic in, at least in la county and in california any public employee is deemed to be a disaster service worker so all of our county employees were deployed um, you know to work at vaccination sites testing sites um, you know d- any number of activities during the pandemic when we were shut down all, all of us were contributing employees to do those activities and we were under a, a public health uh, emergency order and, and still are in LA County. So we actually were able to leverage that to use county employees in the role of as a disaster service worker. But because that was so successful, um, the county uh, has has passed a motion to make that a a permanent program. And so what we do is we work with the county's Department of Human Resources. They look at the the number of full-time uh, employees in each of the county departments, and they. Uh, apply a threshold for um, how to meet our target number of, of leads and assistant leads for our vote centers. And so again, we have a 10-day voting period. That doesn't mean that these employees are working for 10 days. In most cases, there are four-day assignments. And so we cover, as an election expense, we cover the overtime for those employees, but their base rate of pay is is contributed from their, from their host department.
1: Hello, I'm Eric Fade, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri, and you're listening to High Turnout, Wide Margins, a podcast where we explore local election administration.
2: I wanted to talk a little bit since we were uh, still on on resources a little bit, and jump into more about your voting equipment because you said that you were rolling out the new voting equipment. Uh, which has been a long time coming, and I was wondering if you could uh, kind of talk a little bit about that. And really, um, if you if you want to, I think it would be really good to go into the speci- specifics. Um, I'm not sure everyone knows how much it costs. I'm not sure everyone knows what all went into it and the efforts that went into it to uh, lead to where it is now. And um, I would really like to To educate more people on that.
0: It really was more of a transformation of the voting experience than just about voting equipment. And it really has been an amazing journey. It's something that has lasted uh, well over a decade. Um, In some ways, to to kind of put it into perspective, you have to go back to um, again to that 2000 presidential election where we're in California coming out of the 2000 presidential election and all of the concerns across the country about punch card voting systems and there was a bond passed to fund the replacement of those the the challenge for a jurisdiction like LA County is there there was nothing to replace the the punch card voting system was there there was nothing that was scalable to uh, a jurisdiction the size and complexity of LA County so uh, as as many will recall there was this rapid development of the direct recording electronic a uh, touchscreen um, voting equipment, but even those were not really designed to the scale of a jurisdiction um, like LA County. And then at the same time, in parallel to that, the Help America Vote Act was being uh, legislated in, in in Congress. So you had the, the new features. So the requirement of the accessible voting devices, the second chance voting options, um, those those components that, that didn't exist before. So uh, my predecessor and the county um, Took an interim approach, so they they used the 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 initial HAVA funds to to transition to a what was always intended to be a a bridge system that really ended up staying in place for uh, much longer than it was ever intended. At the same time, vote by mail was becoming more and more prevalent in California and in in LA County, and um, you know for for anyone out there who's familiar with with punch cards it's just not a very intuitive way to vote by mail um but for the length of the ballot and the fact that we had multiple languages and the number of polling places we had there was still nothing out there that really was built to scale for that and then we hit the the 2004 and 2006 uh, time frame and all of those new systems that were rolled out across the country with the HAVA funds were suddenly under the cloud of, of concern for security and, and usability as well. All of that going on and and the kind of the development in, and innovation around voting systems was actually going backwards instead of forwards. So shortly after I became registrar, uh, we did an assessment and it, it became pretty clear and, and pretty well documented that that there wasn't a market solution available for us, but that our But that our bridge system was definitely at the end of its life cycle. I mean, we came to the realization that if we didn't start to do something on our own, uh, that we could very well find ourselves in a situation where where we didn't have a functional voting system. So we uh, initiated this effort, um, originally was called the the Voting Systems Assessment Project, um, made kind of a, a risky but necessary choice from my perspective to to free ourselves of the constraints of the regulatory environment and of the fiscal environment and say, look, if we're going to start from scratch, what would a voting experience look like in LA County that could meet the needs of this diverse jurisdiction? Uh, people in rural areas, people in urban areas, uh, language access, disability access. Um, I, was, I was particularly interested in, in trying to Get past that uh, that dichotomy that, that has existed for so long of the the trade-off between security of a voting system and the accessibility of a voting system. And so, uh, we set. Uh, I think there were about fourteen principles that we adopted. We had a stakeholder meeting, brought a lot of people to the table, and we started to um, adopt a a user-centered design model to. To design a voting experience, not just the, not the equipment. Again, so we purposely and, and kind of with intention said we're not going to look at this as a technology project or as an equipment project alone. We wanted it to be more holistic than that. Um, so uh, that led to um, the adoption of. Kind of in the life cycle of that project, um, the the Colorado model with vote centers and vote by mail was evolving. Um, That fit with a lot of the work that we were doing. We were working with a, a design company that worked specifically in user centered design that came down and spent a lot of time with us just talking with voters, finding out what they liked about their voting experience, what they didn't like what gave them confidence in their voting experience, and also reaching out to prospective voters. So we spent a lot of time with uh, young people, showing them how the voting process worked, getting their impressions of uh, all of that. And uh, that came together in our particular model of, of a ballot marking device was designed um, with the intention of being a publicly owned uh, voting system. So we did not want to have separate devices for accessibility at our voting locations. We wanted everybody to be able to use the same piece of equipment. But we also wanted to have that paper, tangible ballot that came back um, to be to be tallied and that could be um, could be used for recounts and and audits. And so um, through a, a lot of effort with with a lot of a lot of partnerships, we were able to to do that. And we knew that vote by mail was going to be a major component of that at the time. We didn't. We did not. Um, necessarily anticipate that LA County would go into or California the state would go entirely um, vote by mail but uh, again in our jurisdiction even though we mail ballots to every registered voter there's still a clear need for that in-person voting experience for accessibility for language and now that we have a conditional voter registration or the ability for people to register and vote um, leading up to an on election day it provides that um, through our in-person Voting experience, so the the system does belong to us. It belongs to LA County. It was uh, built with the intent that we could share that in part or in whole with other jurisdictions and we're in the process of kind of developing the ability to do that um, right now. But um, we're now two years into the full deployment of it. It's it's run the full spectrum of um, Uh, a new design of the vote by mail ballot what it looks like what the envelopes look like the instructions the ballot marking device a separate and independent tally system that 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 counts both the vote by mail and the the ballot marking device ballots that that, um, are generated at our in-person voting locations Um, in some ways i would say by luck and in some case by necessity um, we were able to maintain the support and the patience of our um, authorizing environment to get us to the to the finish line on that, but it's a system that that right now is getting rave reviews from our from our voters. Um, it does achieve that ability, so I'm, I'm I'm particularly proud of the accessibility features. So that's where we're at today. I, I think that the great thing about it is it's built to recognize that voter behavior and the regulatory environment and kind of the the makeup of our population is. Is always changing, so it's built to be agile, so we can continue to to develop and improve it without having to go back and start um, from from uh, ground zero um, again. Uh, people are always shocked by this, but I mean, this was a uh, you know more than a three hundred million dollar project in entirety in terms of. One-time costs of of the development, the manufacturing, and um, and everything that went into it. But I think you have to put that into perspective. Uh, that that was a big investment. That was a combination of those um, state bond funds. Uh, we got a series of grants. We had a lot of support from um, within the county to, to build that. Again, operationally, uh, I would say initially it has. Um, it's probably fair to say that's increased the cost overall costs of the election i think over time that will stabilize but i think the cost per vote cast is actually uh going down so it's really how you you know it's how you how you do that math and how you how you leverage it um the philosophy behind it it's it's now it evolved from voting systems assessment project to what we branded as voting solutions for all people and the intent is uh, to meet people where they're at that, that sometime in that 10-day voting period uh, that in the course of people's day-to-day life, um, wherever they are in our county, they're gonna see either a place where they can drop off their vote by mail ballot or where they can um, register to vote or go in and cast a ballot um, in, in the community. Uh, and that includes you know, um, some mobile units that we send out during that 10 uh, day period to um, events where there are a lot of people already gathered. So maybe they're not even thinking about casting a, a ballot, but, but we're there and available to them. Uh, that was an interesting twist during COVID because, of course, there weren't—you know—people weren't gathering in, in large places. So we actually were able to leverage those mobile units and put them in places uh, where we had first responders. So for um, our medical professionals, we we set them up in hospital parking lots and uh, and we went out to homeless encampments and um, and areas like that, hard hard to reach areas where voters otherwise might have a difficulty. Uh, getting out to cast their vote by mail ballot or or to get to an in-person voting location. So in, in many respects, I mean, it feels like we're, on one hand, we're kind of at the end of of what was a long journey and, and reaching a, um, kind of moving, transitioning from a project status to a program status. Uh, and then on the other hand, it, it still feels like we're still in that infancy stage because there's so much possibility of what we can do with the system uh, going forward.
1: One of the purposes of this episode was to kind of juxtapose a very large jurisdiction with a very small jurisdiction. We talked to East St. Louis, Illinois, which is a very small jurisdiction for four employees in the election office. They're an under-resourced place. You know, they said if they ever got money, the first thing they do is probably buy some some new voting equipment. But you just as you just explained, uh, essentially designed and built a, a new voting system because what was on the market didn't meet the needs of LA County. And I'm hoping you might be able to address from your standpoint, from your opinion, kind of the state of the the voting system technology market, where there, it's a relatively small market for election administrators to choose from. It's kind of, you know, whatever certified, that's what you get. If you want something else, you know, kind of too bad. And you kind of broke that model and Designed your own thing, and so what are your thoughts? I mean, have you, having gone through that experience, do you think there's a better way for the United States to have voting technology for for election offices?
0: This isn't an issue just for a large county. I mean, it is symptomatic of of an issue that's that's true for all jurisdictions, right? And and I think we we were very intentional. We knew that. This was going to take us a long time, and we knew that it was going to take a lot of resources, and we wanted to do it in a manner that that hopefully would shift the market in some in some regards. So, and and I think it has done that. Um, but I think it also was intended to, uh, you know, put us in a position so that 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 work could be um, beneficial for other jurisdictions going forward. And I think we're still starting to see that. I think there there are some challenges in that, and I think that goes to, to, to your point. Is um, you know one challenge is the the size of the market. It's a it's a volatile market, um, especially coming out of, of 2020 and and the the lawsuits and allegations that have been uh, leveraged against the voting system manufacturers, um, like some some many of the other mis and disinformation out there that is that has been used. Um, you know. Certainly makes it challenging to get new entrants um, into the uh, market and to have the resources to do uh, new development when you're just constantly trying to defend and, and maintain the systems that are out there. Uh, so I do think there. Uh, I think there is room for change. I think the, the the movement we're finally starting to see with the adoption of the, the VBSG 2.0 at the federal level, I think is is pivotal to that. That speaks to some of the accessibility features that we talked about and that we worked um, so hard on in our system. But I think the area where I think we still have yet to see change, and you touched on it, is the, the certification process, that um, the life cycle of technology uh, today and the 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 pace at which the regulatory environment is changing in the elections environment um, has to in my opinion has to evolve to allowing for um, more flexibility and agility in um, in upgrading voting systems right so so this this idea that it's in a complete end-to-end system and any change you make to it means you have to go back and start completely over with certification a that's a costly process very costly process and um, and it's a lengthy process so even just scheduling that based on election calendars is it's difficult, so I think some flexibility in how that works is going to be important, I think some of the. um, The work that you're seeing with some kind of foundational elements of of trying to move to more towards more open source or open source. Um, or at least partially open source um, components and voting systems and looking at them as component-based systems. So for instance, our system, the tally system is is independent. It could be used with a different type of voting equipment. Um, same thing with the ballot marking device. The hardware could be used with a different operating system than the one that we're using. I think those are things that um, when you look at how large, um, secure systems are, are being built in, in other industries those are those are things that i think um need to come to play in the elections environment as well and and i think that you know we're starting to see the conversation around that and and hopefully that'll continue to evolve
1: you've been listening to high turnout wide margins a podcast that explores local election administration i'm your host eric fay alongside brianna lennon Big thanks to KBIA for making this podcast possible. Our managing editor is Rebecca Smith. Our managing producer is Aaron Hay. And our associate producers are Abigail Ruman and Katie Quinn. This has been High Turnout, Wide Margins. Thanks for listening.